of Proverbs. And y'all get out of here, okay? Sixth chapter of Proverbs. And we're going to go down to, uh, get my glasses on here, I've forgotten the verse, to verse 20, okay? Just a part of a verse. Now, you could uh, take time to read that whole chapter. Proverbs 6 is a very interesting chapter and a very applicable chapter. Some people say, I need more application. Well, read Proverbs 6, you'll get plenty of it. And we're going to go down to verse 20, where the title of that section uh, actually tells us, Beware of adultery. Well, that ought to perk us up. Have you noticed the breakup of families? Have you noticed how many times you hear about somebody having an affair, even Christian people? Have you noticed how many times you hear about people that are addicted to pornography? Have you noticed how many times you find people that have some sort of immorality in their life and in a world that is so morally confused, we need to be clear. And in this world where so much is going on to confuse us and to question the old beliefs and ideas about morality, it seems outdated and old-fashioned, boring, and all of that, and yet our world is destroying itself, and families are being destroyed, children are being destroyed, it doesn't bode well for the future. And the thing I think that concerns me the most is not that the world's doing all this silliness. It's invading the church. And there are people in the church. I may be talking to you today. Affairs generally are not out in the open. They're hidden. Maybe, maybe somebody listening to me, whether it's maybe by live stream. And by the way, welcome to those of you who listen to us by live stream. Or somebody in the congregation this morning. Or somebody who's absent today. They've been drawn away by something else and they're involved in some type of immorality and it steals your joy it shuts down your emotions your sensitivity to God is gone your hunger for the things of God is gone and there's an artificial excitement that is stirred up within you that I'm gonna tell you it's not gonna last it's not gonna last and the consequences of it are going to be like the old saying sin will take you further than you want to go keep you longer than you want to stay, and cost you more than you ever wanted to pay, especially in this area. And I want you to notice in verse 20 what Solomon says that is going to keep his son on the right path. He says in verse 20, My son, keep your father's command and do not forsake the law of your mother. Keep your father's command command and do not forsake the law of your mother. Isn't that interesting in that verse? And of course, it's real interesting to read on down. But I want to stop right there by just making this statement. As we've been talking about wisdom, wisdom remembers. You know what fools do? They come and sit in a sermon, listen to somebody preach their heart out, and then they forget it by the time they walk out into the foyer. That's foolish. God has given you a pastor to give you the word of God. And you're not to passively listen or just say, well, it's just his opinion and pour it out on your way out the door. Because this is the word of God. You are to listen to what your parents teach you. How many times, sounds like a country song, I should have listened to what mama said. 
Well, there was one, wasn't there, called Mama Tried to Tell Me or something like that? Think about how many times life gets messed up because you didn't do what you knew to do and you were raised to do it. Now, let me just make a disclaimer. Some of you were not raised in homes like that and you weren't taught those kind of things. What are you supposed to do? Change your family tree. Let it change in your generation. You be the mother and the father that is right and gives your children an opportunity to be straight and not mess up their lives. But so many times we find ourselves saying, I should have listened. I should have listened. And Solomon is saying, please, my son, as he writes this to the one who would follow him on the throne, listen to what your father and your mother have to say. Now, just with that one thing, we're not even going down to the other verses, just that one verse, there's a lot in here that we need to think about this morning. And these things remind us of some responsibilities that we have in this world. Now, first of all, I want you to notice personal responsibility. That's what Donnie was talking about earlier. You've got to make a choice in some things. And so many times we are pushed around by the winds and waves of this world. Sometimes it takes us into, as Paul said, doctrinal instability and that type of thing. But let's also think about it in terms of our morality. We get pushed around and we blame people, we blame circumstances, we blame everybody but us. And in this world, would you agree with me there is a lack of people taking personal responsibility today? That's a big problem. Nobody, nobody wants to take responsibility for choices they make, for things that they do, or things that they don't do. It's society, it's the government, it's the teachers, it's all of this kind of stuff that's going on. Notice that Solomon used some words here to tell us this. He said, my son, keep, not if everybody else is doing it, not to be pressured, not to have somebody influence that way. You make a choice to choose to take responsible, uh, responsibility personally. You, my son, keep. And then he says, and you do not forsake your father and your mother's instruction. You don't do that. You know, whether you're going to rise or fall, whether you are going to grow or not grow, is largely up to you. That's why the Bible has to command us, grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord. Remember the Apostle Peter wrote that? And he wrote that imperative as a command. You make sure you grow. Take every action to grow. Do whatever you need to do to grow because it's your fault if you don't grow. You can't blame anybody else. Jesus gave a promise. If you're hungry and thirsty for righteousness, you will be filled. He'll guarantee it. But if you're waiting for anybody else to do it, if you're waiting for the feeling to hit you, if you're waiting for it just to magically and mystically happen, it's not going to. You'll pay the price. You'll stagnate. And some of you are stagnant in your walk with God right now. And you need to wake up and get out of it and start taking some steps again. You've got to take responsibility for your life. You've got to take responsibility for your finances. You've got to take responsibility for your health. You've got to take responsibility for your ministry to other people. Other people are not just going to do it, and you can't just leave it to other people. You've got to use your spiritual gift. You've got to put it in operation, as Peter told us. It's a stewardship issue. And so Solomon said, hey, son, 
Keep these things. You keep these things. And you don't lay them aside. You've got to make an active choice to remember what you have been taught. But secondly, notice there's a family responsibility. He talks about your father's command and the law of your mother. Well, I'm sorry, 21st century American. If there are any snowflakes here, you're about to melt. There are only two genders and they're listed right here. There's a mother, which is a woman, and there's a father, which is a man. And I want you to notice too, sorry, it's not living together outside of marriage. It's not having babies out of wedlock. It's not just having a baby mama and a baby daddy and all of these things. It is two people in a covenant relationship that are married in the sight of God and man who have made vows to one another and keep those vows and they bring children into this world that they can raise, here's the word, sorry, it's going to blister some of you, together, together. Now I have all the admiration in the world for single parents. And I'm an ally with single parents. But I also have to say, it's not the ideal situation. God intended for a male and a female to come together in marriage to conceive and to bear children in wedlock, as we used to call it, and for both of them together to raise those children. It's the optimum thing. I know it doesn't always happen, and God bless you for all that you do, and there are some very successful single parents. But everyone that I know, when I talk to them, they recognize the fact that it is more difficult without a mother and a father in the home. So that speaks against our generation because that talks about genders and there are different roles for men and women. Women, you can't do everything that a man does. You can do a lot of things, but you can't do everything. And men, you can do a lot of things that women do, but you can't do everything because God in His wisdom made us different. We have equal creative worth before God but we're different in our function and in our role. And you see that not only in the biology of things and not only in conception and childbearing and all of that, but you also see it in the way that the home functions. Mothers are different than dads. Dads are different than moms. And you need both streams of influence coming in together to shape that child's life. They need to see both of you. And notice here that there are these things about commands and instruction. Oh, let me blow apart this snowflake generation now. God has ordained authority in the home. Children do not run the home. Children do not choose the church. Children do not choose the activities. Mom and dad are supposed to control those things. Mom and dad are supposed to set the convictions. Mom and dad are supposed to set the agenda. Should they take into consideration the child, their needs and their wants? Of course they should. And we're not talking about being brutal or running roughshod over them. We're simply saying this. Parents, it's your job to set the boundaries. It's your job to make sure your children live up to those things. It is your job to set the direction of the home. Joshua said, as for me and my house. Boy, that sounds authoritative, doesn't it? 
We will serve the Lord. And moms and dads, you need to make that choice. That's not your children's job. That is your job to set that tone so that your children have something to not forget. You know what I'm saying? You hearing me? Because a lot of families, and I'm talking about even intact two-parent family homes today, their children don't have anything to forget because mom and dad never taught them anything. Mom and dad never exemplified anything. Mom and dad didn't have any convictions. They follow little Johnny everywhere he's going to go. And if he's got something, it didn't matter what else was going on, church or anything else, we got to keep them happy. After all, we made a commitment. Well, what about your commitment to Jesus? What about your commitment to the body of Christ? What about your conviction that you said earlier that Jesus is Lord? Are you displaying that? And is your family built on the rock of Jesus Christ, on the Word of God, so that your children know where you stand? And they live by it. Right? So don't forget those things. Because God has ordained a certain way. He created them in his image, male and female. There's a role. And each one of us have to play that role and play that part in the family. Remember and apply your father's command and do not forsake the law of your mother. This is not just biology. It's God's design here. Now thirdly, I want you to think about this. It talks about a moral responsibility. Every man did what was right in his own eyes. Remember that? It's out of the book of Judges. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Well, that sounds like democracy, doesn't it? I mean, that's what we're hearing now in these presidential campaigns and in our society. Hey, let's just all do our own thing. Oh, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. Do your own thing. Now, that's back from the 60s. That's back from more than 40 years ago, isn't it? Maybe the fruit of what we are experiencing now came from the mantra of do your own thing back in the 60s. Seemed kind of innocent then, seemed kind of fun then. Look at the monster that it has created now. Because it was back in the 60s, for the first time in American culture, that youth rose up wholesale and said, we will not do what our mom said. We will not do what our mother said. And we're going to do our own thing. If you want to know where all of this mess we're in right now came from, look in the mirror. It was generations ago that all of this started. It's interesting you go back and you see the Leave it to Beaver shows. What was dad like in that show? Beaver, did you learn your lesson? Remember that? Ward Cleaver, wasn't that his name? Predates me. I watch reruns. What about father knows? Well, whatever happened to that kind of stuff? Because in my generation, what I grew up watching, shows that didn't have a father, or if there was a father, he was so idiotic, nobody wanted to listen to him anyway. See the attack? The attack. And it comes on into the things that we are facing today. Out of wedlock, births are higher now than they've ever been. The divorce rate in the Bible Belt, high. Oh, I know we're doing better in Oklahoma. We used to be number one. Now we're number three. Whew, boy. Isn't it amazing? And all of us have been to Falls Creek. 
made little or no difference in the way that we live. All of us are members of a church. I mean, it's like three-fourths in Oklahoma are members of some kind of church. makes very little difference. Why? Because those things are not the answers. We've got to have strong families who reinforce what is taught at church so that it's not just a church thing and a Sunday thing and an Awana thing and a Sunday school thing. It is a family thing. And you've got to live those things and teach those things and reinforce those things. I heard John Rawson say amen. That's because he's been saying for years, men, you need to pastor your families. You've got to do that. And so many times this verse is not a big deal because there's not very much instruction coming from mothers and coming from fathers. I'm not talking about nagging your children. I'm not talking about shaming your children or anything like that. I'm talking about lovingly teaching them the truths of Scripture and modeling for them the Christ life and living what you say you believe so that when your children go out of the home, if they stray from it, they're convicted by that. When I first went to college, first time I was on my own, I got a roommate that I didn't know, and he liked to drink, and so I just went along with him and joined in with him. And you know what bothered me as much as anything? Because I wasn't saved yet. I thought I was. You know what bothered me? My conscience. Now listen to this. I remember sitting on my bed in my dorm room, and I was so depressed and so discouraged and so disgusted with myself because I said in my heart, I was not raised this way. And I wasn't even saved. And I got out of there and got out of that environment and God then set up a chain of events that led to my salvation. But isn't it interesting? You know why I thought that? Because I thought if my mom or dad would see me now and what I'm doing... And I was ashamed because I remembered what they said. Why did I remember what they said? Because they actually said something and they modeled it for me. My parents lived an exemplarily, exemplar, they were a good example. <laughs> I want to tell you something, folks. It's important. I'm living proof. I'm living proof. My parents probably at that time said, Oh, he's doing okay. They had no idea. I covered it up pretty good. My parents probably said something like this. Well, they don't li he wouldn't listen to me anyway. Yeah, I was. Yeah, I was. Oh, I'd roll my eyes. I'd walk off maybe in the middle of a sentence once. <laughs> once. I came in one time, my dad was the kind, he came home from work, and we worked out on projects he had, and we ate supper whenever darkness fell. Oh man, I loved fall when it got dark at 5 o'clock. <laughs> but in the summertime, I remember we were working on some fence, and we were out there working, and it was, we didn't come in until 9 o'clock at night for supper, summertime. And I walked in, I'm tired and sweaty and hungry. And mom was finishing up some stuff, and she says, Where your where's your dad? And I said, oh, the old man will be here in a minute. And I remember she turned around, and she had a spatula in her hand, and she said, don't you ever call my husband that name again. She goes, if you do, she goes, you'll pay for it. I said, that is your father. 
That is the one who provides for you. And you will talk about him with respect. Even if you disagree with him. Well, I'm 59 years old and I hadn't forgotten that moment. And I quickly changed my tone and I said, Mom, I didn't mean anything by it. And she goes, I know. That's the only reason this hadn't hit you in the side of the face. <laughs> yeah. My parents backed each other up. For all the years that they were married, I can tell you one thing. You ever say anything about Charlene Keenan and Marvin Keenan's got something for you. You say anything about Marvin Keenan, Charlene Keenan's got something for you because they were always together on all of that. Now, there were times when they disagreed and there were times when we saw them kind of disagree over things, but it was never over anything major. And they had a united front. You know what I learned from that? Sammy and I have tried to practice this as well. You don't ever want to let your children divide you. You don't ever want them to think that if daddy says no, I can go to mama. Or if mama says no, I'll go to daddy. Or we can hide it. Or one of the parents will help me hide something from the other. That is a recipe for disaster. Okay? Now think about this. This is what Solomon is saying. Remember what your mother and father have said. And so I imply from that they better be saying the same thing. They better be together, and it better be a law and a command that's worth hearing. And my suggestion it would be, don't base it on your personal taste or preferences or even the way you were raised. Base it on the Word of God so that it is timeless and it is rock solid. Because we've got a moral responsibility to do this. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 1 says, Finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus... That as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God, Paul speaking as kind of a spiritual father, just as you were doing, that you do so more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. Well, I just told you the will of God, didn't I? That you abstain from sexual immorality. That means sexual activity outside of marriage of any kind. That each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. That no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter, because the Lord is the avenger in all things, just as we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you. For God has not called us for impurity. Can I say that again? God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this, listen up, disregards not man, but God, who gives you his Holy Spirit. Paul was bold enough to say, we are telling you what God says. And don't say, well, I don't agree with Paul, because if you disagree with Paul, you're disagreeing with God. This is what God says. We're supposed to live and to walk in purity. So it makes sense to me that if the devil wants to corrupt a generation, a nation, a culture, he starts by causing people to disregard mom and dad. He starts by saying, oh, they're old. It doesn't matter. This is a new generation, baby. We can do what we want to do and do it in the way we want to do it. They don't understand. We're different. And you start straying away from what they teach you and disregard their authority. So here's the obvious attack. 
It's the breakdown of morality. Let's just change what is moral. Throw away the Ten Commandments. Get rid of all of those. The Supreme Court back in the 80s said you can't have the Ten Commandments in the school because if they're hanging there in the school, a student might look at them. And if a student looks at them, they might be influenced by them and they might try to obey them. Therefore, that would be the establishment of a religion. Isn't that silly? All it is is morality. Well, you break down morality. Free love, do whatever you want to do, anytime you want to do it. I mean, it doesn't matter. Nearly every song you like and every song that brings back a fond memory to you of your high school days, you listen closely to the words. There's a lot of immorality in there. And there were seeds of destruction that were planted in your heart as a teenager. And they may have born and come to fruition in your adult life. You better think about those kind of things. The breakdown of morality. Fathers and mothers are divided. There's a breakdown and then redefine the family. It's not enough just to blow it up. Now we got to redefine what even it is. It's amazing the things we're seeing. Not only that, then we confuse the roles and even the gender of fathers and mothers. And then we cause children to reject both and then they go their own way. And they don't even have a clue as to the way they should go. They're just trying stuff. They're just following the crowd. They're stepping on landmines. They're being led astray. Anybody say amen to that? We are watching the destruction of our civilization and of our culture right before our very eyes. How dare we be lethargic? How dare we be passive about any of this? How dare we not sell out completely to the Lord Jesus? Because I'm telling you, folks, that's America's only hope. Do you ever get concerned about who's going to get elected to the White House? You get pretty passionate about it from some of the things you put on Facebook. I wish you had half of that passion about your service to Jesus Christ. Because that's what's going to change everything. Not the White House, the church house, the people of God. We need revival, and we need to get serious about the things of God. I uh, read an article from Time magazine. It's from a few years ago, two or three years ago. And it was entitled, How to Use Gender-Neutral Pronouns. Hmm, do you want to know that? Well, you're going to find out. You need to know. This is important. Why do people want to use gender-neutral pronouns anyway? What's wrong with gendered pronouns? Well, it's not that there's something wrong with gendered pronouns. It's just that the pronouns he and she come with a certain set of expectations about how someone should express their identity and relate to the world. For many people... Gender normativity can get in the way of self-expression so that words he or she can feel limiting. Some people have a gender identity that is non-binary, that means two, and conventional pronouns have the effect of assigning them a binary identity. Take me, for example. 
not me, the writer. <laughs> I was assigned male at birth, but I spent a good portion of my life trying to get away from the expectations that had been placed on me because of that. Asking people to use gen the gender-neutral pronoun they instead of he to refer to me has been a big step in my journey towards self-love and self-acceptance. Paul said in the latter days people would be lovers of self. Okay. If someone doesn't want to be referred to as he or she, what should I use? What are the options? Okay, I'm going to educate you here. Okay. In my experience, the most common gender-neutral pronoun used by gender, queer, and gender non-conforming people is they, them, and their. Okay, here's what that means. Okay. I uh, think about, um, here's a person here named George. And instead of saying, uh, we need to go over there and pray for George, he's having a hard time. Can't say that, that's gender. I need to say, we need to go pray for George because they are having a hard time. How many are there? You never know. There's a writer for the New York Times that put on his website that the pronouns he wants to be called are uh, using the they, their pronouns. And it says in there in his biography that you know, has his name, one guy, and it says, they love to fish. They love their dogs. And it's all about him, okay? That's one of them. They, them, and their. So get ready for that. But that doesn't mean it's the only option. Oh, good, because that's kind of stupid. Some people choose to use the gender-neutral pronouns Z, here, and here's. Is that on there? Yeah. Well, I have no idea. Or, I am air. I'm thinking, I am air may be describing what's in their head. <laughs> Among others. There are lots of gender-neutral pronouns out there, and they can certainly get confusing. Duh. That's where Google comes in handy. So if you're in doubt, and next time you're at Walmart, and you want to say hello to the cashier, and you're not sure whether to use I, M, or air, Google it. And then you'll know. They may not. You say, where's this coming from? Well, it's coming from both coasts, and it's heading rapidly toward the middle, which is kind of where we are. Are you feeling squeezed lately? This is what's happening. Why? Because we're not remembering what we've been taught. We're not standing on that. And the enemy is killing us. And the result is confusion. That's what the article says. In 1 Corinthians 14.33 says, For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace. So you can see who's behind all of this. And moral confusion, combined with the breakdown and redefinition of the family, gives us a society like this. Here's what Proverbs 6 goes on to say. Down in verse 16. These six things the Lord hates, yea, seven are an abomination to him. And what are they? A proud look, 
Boy, we're dripping with pride in America today, aren't we? A lying tongue, you can't trust anybody. Hands that shed innocent blood, look at the crime rate. You notice how many people just in Oklahoma City over the last week have been shot? It's almost every day you hear about a shooting or a stabbing, isn't it? Not to mention abortion. A heart that devises wicked plans. Good night, law enforcement. How do they keep up with everything, every wicked thing that people are thinking of? You have to react. Feet that are swift and running to evil. Come worship the Lord. Okay, if I have to. Hey, look at this that we've got. Here they go. It's exciting. A false witness who speaks lies. Hmm. Has the term fake news, have you heard that lately? You don't know what to believe anymore, do you? And one who sows discord among brethren. Are you under the impression that America is more divided than it's probably ever been in your lifetime? You're afraid to talk about anything. You can't dialogue. You can't have any differences. That's the society that all of this nonsense has given us. It's the fruit of about 40 years of disobeying God and rebellion and uh, rejection of authority and a rejection of the Word of God. In other words, of not remembering what our mother and our father did and we celebrate it. Because as we've seen, wisdom begins with the fear of the Lord. Wisdom applies the Word of God to life. Wisdom requires diligence. You can't be haphazard about this. And wisdom remembers and passes on a legacy and an example. And here's the thing that is really, really sad to me. Some of you sitting here today are passing on everything but something that your children will need to remember. You want to make them successful? It's not by putting them in soccer. It's not by making sure they score high on their ACT. All those things, fine. Except we're emphasizing those things over teaching and living consistently the word of truth in the power of God and in love right in our own homes. And the devil is making a fool of us and we sit around and gripe about the way people think and the way they live and the way that they vote and the way that they... Well, who taught them that? It's time to make a change and the change begins with us. You and I can't solve the whole problem. But God didn't intend for us to do that. What he did is he gave us people in our families that we can minister to, that we can evangelize, that we can pray for, that we can walk with, that we can help, and that we can be an example to. Because I can't change what goes on in Washington, D.C., but I can have an influence on my children and my grandchildren, and so can you. And if you have little children, God bless you. Because they believe you more than they believe anything else. You can tell them just about anything you want to tell them. My advice is tell them what God says. And then show them what God says by the way that you live. Can you change Washington or Moscow or Beijing? Probably not. But you know what? You can change them. And maybe they have that kind of influence. What if your son or daughter grew up to be Secretary of State, President, Vice President, a Congressperson, a Senator, 
governor. Wouldn't that be awesome? Well, it would be if they've been trained right and if they know right and if they have wisdom. And when they can be in a position of power, they can say, when someone asks them, who influenced you the most to be the man or woman that you are, if they still are using those terms? And to have your child or your grandchild mention your name. Wouldn't that be awesome? And to think that you can have that kind of influence in your own life, in your own family, that can last for generations. That's what Solomon is talking about. And that, my friends, is wisdom. And the path of this world is foolishness. So choose you this day whom you will serve. And I hope you can answer that like Joshua did. Daddies, mamas, grandparents, aunts, uncles, married, single, whoever you are, to stand up and say these words. But as for me and my house, finish it. We will serve the Lord. And there is great wisdom and great power in the statement that you just made if you'll carry it out and all God's people said, Amen. Would you bow your heads with me? Father, we live in a world of absolute chaos, confusion. It's illogical. And it's so chaotic. And we are throwing our children into <clears throat> a cesspool. And they're going to hear things and see things at school and with their friends. They're going to be taught things. And they're going to be taught crazy things as fact when nobody even knows what's happening. Lord, I think it's kind of hilarious that now the, with the LGBTQ plus movement, the feminists are starting to react against that because if there are no women, then there really can't be any feminists. It's crazy how things are starting to come up now where doctors, how do they treat somebody? Because there's a difference between male and female. How do they, how do they uh, administer medicine to them? We're seeing now even in the sports world where there's starting to be a kickback between males who run races as a female and they're dominating and all of that. Where does that leave the girls? So I have no um, doubt that before long this is all going to kind of explode because this stuff doesn't work in the real world or in real life. And we know that instinctively. But our world is so foolish that they push it and push it and push it and push it even to their own detriment. Well, Father, you told us in Ephesians 6 that we are to put on the whole armor of God and I pray that we are and that we are when the world is pushing the word for us is stand and we are to stand and having done all to stand in the power of Jesus Christ and standing on the word of God the B-I-B-L-E yes that's the book for me I stand alone on the word of God the B-I-B-L-E oh Lord May that be more than just a cute little kid song. May it be the truth. Fix our families by fixing our thinking and fixing our heart upon Jesus and upon his word and pulling us back from where we have drifted. And oh, dear Lord, while I'm praying, my heart breaks for the United States of America. 
And I pray for revival. I pray for a spiritual awakening. I pray, Father, for someone somewhere to say something that makes sense and to get the ear of the nation with that. And I pray, Lord, it might be one of us. In Jesus' name we pray.